Man, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. Yeah, I enjoyed the cold, too. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Hey, we're here, right? It's warm. It's good. Um, uh, quick reminder as well, the, um, our South Africa trip, um, there is an uh, informational meeting right after service today. Pastor Brandon and, I, and Aubrey, I think it's um, right across in the West Auditorium. So take a few minutes, say hi to a few people, and then get over there about 10 minutes or so after uh, service. So I'm getting ready. You all are in safe hands um, this morning because I was about to get up and preach, and Nina looked over at me, and she goes, she goes are, you, are you preaching today, Dad? I said, yeah. And she goes, oh. And I thought, what's that mean? She goes, oh, it just means I'll be taking lots of notes. <laughs> For any of you that don't know, um, Nina translation means that don't be too long-winded today, Dad. So I, I promise that none of you will run out of ink or paper this morning, all right? But I am excited about what we're talking about. If you want to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 26, we're in a really significant series this morning. Um, you know, we just got out of our fast, and um, I know a lot of you have been praying, and, and we're going to address that a little bit um, later in, in the message, but... Um, but we're fasting and we're praying and we're believing that, God, you're going to turn our hearts back to you. You're going to bring us back to a place of closeness to you. And some of those things, the, the indulgences of the world that we've been participant in are going to begin to be replaced by the disciplines of walking with the Lord and, and that, that walk with him. And so today, we're jumping in. We're going to talk about um, a, a really important um, virtue. We're talking about forgotten virtues um, and today we, we're going to talk about the virtue of loyalty. Everyone say loyalty. 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 Last week we spoke on the virtue of honor. Now how many would you, of you would say that the issue of disloyalty is a significant thing in, in the world today? Say disloyalty. Raise your hand high. Disloyalty is, is it, it, it's prevalent. You've seen it. How many would you say there's been people, be honest, that have been disloyal to you in your life and it's hurt? Raise your hand really high. So tons of people, two-thirds, three-quarters, maybe most of you. All right, <clears throat> let me ask another question um, after that. How many of you, and I want you to be very honest here, would say that pretty much you're a pretty loyal person? Raise your hand up really high. Really high. Look around. Okay, so now we all know the tension that we're dealing with, right? Are, are you tracking with me? Because, you know, we all agree that disloyalty is a pretty significant issue, and I would agree it, it is. But the tension is that when we ask ourselves, am I a pretty much a loyal person, we all say, yes, we are. So I believe that Journey has the most loyal people of every church in the United States of America, right? But there's a tension there, and it's, it's real, and, and the reality is that, um, <clears throat> that we want to look today, and I'm going to challenge you to look into your heart and ask that question, are there areas of disloyalty in my life? And loyalty is a very significant thing in the kingdom of God. It's so, so important. Um, and, and that's the challenge of today. Basically, we see ourselves as loyal people. And, and you know, I believe in many ways, um, all of you that raise your hands are loyal. But what are those areas of disloyalty? And if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. <clears throat> write down, Disloyalty is very difficult to see in the mirror. Disloyalty is very difficult to see in the mirror. And we think, hey, I'm loyal to you. And if I'm ever disloyal to you, 
it's probably because you, you deserved it, right? I, there was something that you did. I remember um, one time, this is one of um, my close, close friend, Jim Renish, close to our family, very close, long 20-year friend. He was in Nancy and I's wedding. I remember one of his favorite stories. I'm not going to go into detail, but I asked Jim, I think it was Christmas Eve, if I could go, to, if he could help me install a shelf, right? And because he's a loyal friend, and I'm loyal to him, and I knew that he's rubbing his head right now. There's a reason why. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I, I had him come over to my house, and we're hanging this shelf, and I've got, you know, you know those drywall screws? You ever seen a drywall, those black graphite drywall screws that are from the pit of hell, right? If you even look at it, it'll cut you, all right? But they're great. You can use them for anything. So I'm using these black drywall screws to screw a shelf. And I said, Jim, could you, because as a loyal friend, I said, could you get under that and hold that shelf up for me while I drill it? And, of course, um, he, he's holding up the shelf, and I'm drilling it into place. And then he goes, is it, is it safe to let go? And I, I, I jump down from the shelf, and I'm looking at it. Jim's right here. The shelf is here. And I said, yeah, I think, I think you, can, you can let go now. So he lets go, and it starts falling down with the screw just come, clocking right for my head. But I'm a smart guy. He's bigger than me. He's stronger. So I just jump out of the way and let Jim take it for me, right? Okay, you guys are like, you're a horrible, horrible man. <clears throat> See, I was loyal to him until it meant pain for me, all right? And he's got a scar to prove that he's truly loyal to me. And so he, after he gets up off the ground with a screw in his head, he goes, you just tried to kill me. And I, <clears throat> I said, Jim, I didn't try to kill you. I just tried to protect myself. There's a huge difference. All right, so what I want to tell you is this. I can be loyal all day long, but when we get into a pinch, that's when we find out. I can be loyal to you, but when it costs me something. You following along with me? That's when true loyalty really, really hits. And disloyalty is a very significant issue, and it's very difficult to see it in the mirror. Here's a, um, a very practical, very common example. Matthew 26, verse 33. One of the guys in, that proclaimed loyalty to Jesus above everyone else in Scripture was the apostle Peter, right? So Peter, who was a disciple at that time, over and over and over again, he says, Jesus, I'm going to be loyal to you. I've got your back no matter what happens. I will even go to the cross for you. It says in Matthew 26, 33 through 35, Peter says, even if all fall away on account of you, or stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And then it goes on. It says, uh, Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And, and Peter says, no, that's not what's going to happen. He says, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. They said, we're all in, God. Jesus, we're all in to the end on this thing. But you guys know what happened. He said, I'll never disown you. I will be completely loyal to you. You have my full loyalty, even to death. I promise that. But what happened? That very night, his loyalty was tested three times. One time, even a little servant girl said, weren't you one of them? And he cursed and said, no, I, I don't know the man. And so three times, and he was tested. He proclaimed his loyalty. But his, listen to this, his proclaimed loyalty failed. And he knew it. And so in, in Matthew 26, it goes on, he says, and he went outside and he wept bitterly because he knew in his heart of heart that he had been disloyal in the very worst way. And so here's what we need to understand. And this is the second thing. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Loyalty is proven, not proclaimed. 
Loyalty, true loyalty, is proven. It's not proclaimed. So I just asked everybody. We did a little test. I said, are you a loyal person? And most of us answered, yeah, I am. I am loyal. And I agree that disloyalty is a significant problem in the culture, but it's not me. But we know that your loyalty will never really be shown until it's proven in action. In one of those moments where it doesn't pay for you to be loyal. In fact, it's going to hurt you to be loyal. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man, who can find? Who can find? Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a truly faithful man? Do you see that? They'll say I'm, I'm faithful, but who can find one that when push comes to rub, push comes to shove, they actually walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Now, there's a really cool story. Some of you may be familiar with this. It's one of the greatest examples in sports history about loyalty. And there's a guy named Jackie Robinson, um, played for, the, uh, played for uh, Cincinnati. Um, I'm sorry, he played for Brooklyn. Those of you that know this know that. And they were playing this game in Cincinnati, and it was 1947. Jackie Robinson was best friends with a guy named Pee Wee Reese. Jackie Robinson, African-American, in fact, the first African-American Major League Baseball player, right? Pee Wee Reese didn't like him at first, but the, the story goes, and there's movies about this, they became very, very close, very, very good friends when they played together for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And what makes this thing so amazing is that this was something, this friendship was completely out of line and, and mostly jeered at and hated by most major league um, fans and baseball players at the time. And so it was a big deal that these guys became friends. There were death threats that were, um, that were launched at both of them. Um, they were threatened with their jobs. They were threatened um, by sagging numbers of people coming to the games, financial impacts. People were doing everything they could to get Jackie Robinson off the field. And there was this super significant moment in a game where they were playing in Cincinnati, and Jackie Robinson was playing second base, and Pee Wee Reese was playing shortstop, and what was going on, the crowd just went into an uproar, and they started throwing things, they were cursing. It got to where the game was almost shutting down. And then Pee Wee Reese did something amazing. He did what you see in this picture. In front of everyone, Pee Wee Reese, in the middle of that Major League Baseball field in Cincinnati, walks up to Jackie Robinson, and he just puts his arm around him. And he just stares. Looks around at the crowd. Crowd goes completely silent, and they just look. And it was one of those long ones. Right now you're saying, Jason, you're going too long. But you get the picture here? He said, I am loyal to Jackie Robinson, and it does not matter what color his skin is. This is who he is, and this is my friend. And Jackie Robinson later in his life, later in his career, said that that one simple act did more than just save his career, but it probably saved him in a lot of other ways that, that, that he could never even know. In fact, it was a special moment in history. They actually made a, a statue of it to commemorate it. There's been movies. But here's the deal. Here's the illustration. Here's the application. Loyalty is proven. In that moment, when it could have costed 
his reputation and his career, Pee Wee Reese said, loyalty is bigger than my own self-interest. And he put his very life and career on the line. There's a story in, in the Bible about this as well. King David had a son named Absalom. Some of you are familiar with this. Absalom was his third son. His son had committed a horrible crime. He ended up murdering a guy, went on a run, uh, on run for his life. He was afraid. Even though David was faithful to his son, even through incredible disloyalty and in face of incredible pain, David was faithful, loyal to his son. Three years later, Absalom returned to the kingdom with this huge army, and he was going to overthrow his father's house. He, was going to take, he wanted to take over the throne, and David had been faithful to this whole time, yet Absalom was being incredibly unfaithful, disloyal to his father. And so now King David was on the run this time. He was trying to save his own life against his disloyal son, Absalom. And so here's this guy. David's on the run from his son, Absalom, who he was faithful to and loyal, but yet his son wasn't. He had every reason to have his son killed, but he wouldn't do it. He, w- he didn't want anyone to lay a hand on his head. So this guy comes along. This guy's name is Ittai. Everyone say Ittai. So the guy's name is Ittai. He shows up on the scene. And this guy's basically a mercenary. He comes to David's camp. He's got 600 seasoned warriors. He's a commander of all of them. This guy, Ittai, has really no skin in the game. He's got really no, he's, he's his own guy. He's got, he's got nothing to really gain or lose. But he said, I want to volunteer to fight on behalf of you, David. And let's read that scripture from 2 Samuel fifteen nineteen. It says this. It says, the king said to Ittai the Gittite, why are you going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. Verse 20, let's read that too. It says, in fact, you came only yesterday. You just met the guy. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go I know not where? Return and take your brethren, those 600 warriors back. Mercy and truth be with you. So, So David was saying, man, I see what you're doing. I'm glad you're here, and I could really use your help, but he didn't even say that. He said, you've only been here today. Go. You don't have to possibly perish with me. He's saying, I'm giving you a free pass. You don't have to fight this battle. I, I barely, I just met you. You just know my cause. That's it. That's all you know. But Ittai's reply to the king was incredible, and I want you to watch the loyalty. 2 Samuel 15, 21. Listen to what Ittai said. He said, but he answered the king and said, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. Listen, he didn't only proclaim his loyalty, but he proved his loyalty as he led his 700 men that he commanded into battle. And he fought so faithfully that David later made him captain, head over almost a third of his armies. And he did this because he saw that this man embraced the virtue of loyalty. Now let me ask you this. If someone, one of your friends, your spouse, who are we tempted to be disloyal to? Our friends, our spouse, um, our church family, whatever. Because we go through hard times, don't we? Let's just be honest. You go, ever been through a hard time with a friend? <laughs> They've gone through it. Your church is going through a hard time. Your marriage is going through a hard time. Whatever your, st- your place in life is, 
And, and it would cost you something to stay with that person, to stay with that organization, to stay in that marriage. You're going to have to lay something down. You were tempted to be disloyal. Were you loyal? And if not, why not? Because no matter what, what it costs me, no matter what everyone thinks, loyalty says, even if it costs me my life, in any of your situations, if I, I'm not going to be loyal to a point. I'm not going to be conditionally loyal. My loyalty is with you now and forever. And I will not abandon this cause. I will fight like Yatai, even unto the death, for this marriage, for this friendship, for this church, for this situation. It's a forgotten virtue. And God is saying, I want loyal people. We had our staff retreat. <laughs> this was awesome. Guys, we had the best staff retreat. I loved it. We're, guys, I just want to say, be excited about 2020. God is doing some really cool things. Pastor Clark and Karen, Pastor Josh and Diana, Pastor Brandon and Aubrey, Nancy and I, sitting around, dreaming, planning, praying, worshiping. And we just had this time where we looked around each other and we reflected on the last five years or so, five, six years that we've been all together as a staff. And we're just laughing because when we think back of all the things that we walked through, how many of y'all that have been around CABC for a long time? All right. Did you walk through a few things? Can you laugh a little bit about it now? Some of you are going, no, I'm still crying. That's okay. Journey people, you okay? Do you miss the mercury vapor lamps? Or that loud popping sound that we always heard? You'd just be, you know, preaching a bam. What was that? You know, people are hitting the ground. You know, our, our concealed carries are going like this. Yeah, that just was five, six times on a Sunday, you know. We were just laughing as a staff at all that we've walked through together. But you know what? And we, we even asked the question, why did we stay in this? Loyalty. Did you know that loyalty believes the best in someone even when everyone else doesn't? You follow that? It's the forgotten virtue. You guys, look at this. Look around. You stayed when others left. There's more coming. Loyalty. No matter what it costs, no matter what everyone thinks, even if everyone else deserts, I will never leave. And that's the heart of Jesus who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's your, that's your God. Well, even God, when I sin even when I shake my hand at you, even when I don't pray, even when I, I accuse you, God, of bad things in my life, God says, I won't leave you, and I will not forsake you. Even when I curse your name, he goes, especially then, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you even to the very end of the age. That's your God. Can I just tell you something? You picked the right God, but he also picked the right you. That's your God. So, friends, we are called to be loyal in so many areas, spouses, friends, church, children, all these different things. I believe as we move towards the end times, Matthew chapter 24, I reference it often, but there's so much stuff in Scripture that says disloyalty is going to grow and grow and grow. Offenses are going to come. We're actually, in the second quarter of this year, we're going to do a Bible study on Sunday night called The Bait of Satan. It's about how to deal with offense. It's going to be really, really good. Everyone needs to plan for that. We'll announce some of that stuff coming up. 
But write this down. Where does disloyalty come from and that's going to hit all our key relationships? All disloyalty is born out of a divided heart. All disloyalty, if you're taking notes, is born out of a divided heart. Think about loyalty from God's perspective. God created us to show us his love, to have an intimate and ongoing fellowship with us. He was so loyal to us that while we were still sinners, he gave his son Jesus for us on the cross. And even though we killed him, his son, put him on the cross. You know, we say, well, the people back then did it. Well, where would you have been? All your friends are going saying, this guy's a heretic, he's blah, blah, blah. Would you, let's give a little grace to those that put him on the cross, all right? Because you know who they were? People just like you and me. But he said, I'm so loyal to you that I'm gonna go on that cross. I'm gonna allow my son Jesus to die for your sins. Even when we are faithful, disloyal, he remains loyal to us. He does. And here's what he asked. God asked for all our hearts, the most important command. A guy asked Jesus, what's the biggest command of all your commands, Jesus? And he goes, well, let me tell you. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And that's what God is asking you today. He's saying, I want all of your heart. I, 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 I want your heart. And, and I'm going to be very honest today. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, so I'll raise mine. If everyone said, Jason, does God have your undivided loyalty, your undivided heart? You know what I would say? No. He doesn't. Take a close look at the way I live. You're going to see Jason is, has a divided loyalty. I am not always totally loyal to God. In decisions that I make, in, in the, the way I live life, I, I can have a divided heart. I can. So I'll just be that transparent in front of you. But I, I don't want God to keep me there. I want to have a unified heart. A heart that's solely focused on God. That I think like him. That I want to do what he wants me to do in every situation of life. Even if it costs me something. Even if it means I'm going to look foolish. Even if it means I lose my job. That's a conversation Alex and I had the other day, didn't we, Alex? We talked about that. Even if it means my job. God, that I will value you more than that. Because you are my provider. Jesus. I want to have a heart unified. And I believe what James says is important. And there are some things that today that the Holy Spirit is going to do in you, even in these last 15 minutes or so. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to have an encounter with you today. I believe that he wants to come into divided hearts and begin to give you a soul focus. And and I believe that some of the things I'm about to share, it's going to be hard to shake because you'd have to be shaking off God. And a lot of us are pretty skilled, aren't we, at shaking off God? Aren't we? He tells you to do something, you just, oh, I got time, I'll get to that. Or we just shake it off. Or that wasn't God. Really, he'd want this for me. It really doesn't. You know you've heard God, but you still don't do what he says to do. And we shake him off and we get really good at that. And, but I believe there are some things that God's going to put on your heart that you won't be able to shake off. And you're going to hear some things in a new way. James 4, 8 and 9 says this. He says, come close, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
There's another version of that that says very simply, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands because your loyalty is divided between God and the world. It's another version of that same scripture. And the last part of it, it says, wash your hands, you sinner, prayer for our hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. There's two ways, and you don't know. You want to have one foot in one and one foot in the other. And you, did you know that you can only live that way for so long? And then most of us tend to favor that easier road. Because there's two roads. There's God and the world. And, and God, uh, the world says it's a wide path, and it's easy. That's what the scripture says. It's a wide path with a wide gate, and most will walk down it. But narrow is the road that leads to life, and few ever Walk on it. But one of them leads where? To where? Life. And where does the other one lead? Divided loyalty. But did you know there, there, there is a, there's consequence and reward for whatever path you choose? Amen. James 4.9 says, Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Let there be mourning and repenting for the division of hearts. Listen, God, I believe this, for that divided heart wants to bring us to a place where he drives us to our knees, where we fall to our knees. I heard a country song just the other day. It was really good. I have no idea how it got onto my playlist, but the guy, I'm not going to sing it. You're okay, all right? But he said, I'm falling down. Uh, there, I did it. I'm falling, falling, falling down on my knees again. Because it's the last place that I have to fall. Last place that I haven't fallen. I believe that God wants us to fall to our knees. The God that has been perfectly faithful to us and has no divided loyalty towards us wants us to go through a process of repentance and maybe even grieving to get to a place where I want God more than I want my stuff in life. And he wants us to come to a deep repentance. Last week, <clears throat> we talked about how at the offset, we're at the offset of the year 2020. We can find ourselves in one of two places. If you want to throw that chart up on the, that I gave you guys a little bit earlier. You know, we, we've been letting things in our eyes, in our ears, etc. And we find ourselves starting 2020. Um, it's the spiritual formation one. We, we find ourselves going through this, this, this is just try, try to make it simple for you. There's one of two processes we're walking down. We're going through a process of spiritual deformation. This is why we fasted, because we indulge. How many of you, see that on the left, dull, indulgence. How many of you, as you fasted, found out that you like sugar a lot more than you thought you did? <laughs> right? And you know, you know your, your, your loyalty, that's our word, that's the forgotten virtue. Your loyalty is being tested, guys, <clears throat> when you say, God, I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm weeping, I'm, I'm going after you, God, I'm, I don't want to indulge anymore, I'm, I'm loyal to you in this fast, and then you walk past the bowl of M&Ms. Your loyalty is tested, isn't it? Mine was, just one God, to energize me for my fast, right? And we talked a little bit last week about how in the spiritual deformation process, indulgence moves to idolatry because it, we, we start to love the things that we shouldn't love and it makes us not love the things we should, like loving God 
And then we begin to go through this process of disintegration. We start to fall apart. That's spiritual deformation. And the Bible talks about that. It says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads towards where? Death. Death. That's what um, the, the, the devil has come to still kill and destroy. But God has come on the left-hand side to bring life, illumination, and life more abundantly union with him. You see how clear that is? So there's this process that we walk through. And God calls us through this fasting time, and we've been doing good with that. Many of us, and many of us are ending it now. Some of you are going on for a full 21 days. That's awesome. But I believe that our fast was what, if you look at this, this, uh, this thing, God is wanting to awaken us. The Bible says, awaken, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and the light of Christ will shine on you. We get into this apathy and this dullness and this deformation and this disintegration. But God is saying, I want to wake you up. I want to wake you up in your personal life. I want to waken up your life with me. And I want to bring you through a process of spiritual formation. And it gets to this great place where it's with union with God. We're going to talk more about this in a few weeks in more detail. But there's that little word that's really scary at the top there that says what? Everyone read that word right under spiritual formation. Read that word. Purgation. Oh, that's horrible. (laughs) How many of you, if someone says, hey, guys, let's all go out tonight. We're going to purgate together. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought you'd say. It, It sounds like this horrible term, purgation. But there's this time of purgation, this time of testing that God wants us to do and walk through so that he can get us to a place where we're not divided in our heart anymore, but we're back in union with him. And we go through often this time of testing. And I want to tell you this, that God calls us to be loyal to him in times of testing. And I believe that there's a lot of us this time of year right now where God is awakening us and he's saying, purgation, there's going to be a time of testing that you go through so that I can begin to illuminate myself. So that the things that you fell in love with and idolatry, those things, that, that relationship or that food or that, or that habit or that whatever it is that you did or didn't do, I, you, you got used to not reading the Bible. You got used to doing what you want to in your own time. You got used to sleeping in on a Sunday morning because it's hard and it's cold and it's all that. But God is saying, I want to awaken you. So that means that there's going to be some stuff you have to deal with. I've got to purge some things out of your life. So that your heart can be focused on me again and be undivided. God calls us, if you're taking notes, to be loyal to him in times of testing. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Exodus chapter 2. See, I, in this message, I could, I could have talked about a lot of things. How to be loyal in your marriage. We could have done a whole series on that. How to be loyal in your friendships. Could have done a whole series on that. There's a great verse about friendships. The Bible says that a brother or a sister was born for adversity. I, I, that's the only nugget I'm going to give you on that. In loyalty and friendships, loyalty and family, your, your brother, your sister in Christ, your friend, your physical brother or sister, whoever, that person that, that you're in relationship with in a close way, they start going through a hard time and it's going to cost you to do something and, and even maybe cost your reputation to keep walking with this person. Did you know that the Bible says that's actually why you're in that relationship? Listen to this. This will change your life if you get a hold of this. The Bible says a brother was born for adversity. You enjoy them. You go on vacation with them. You 
talk with them, you do a Bible study with them, you go out to the mall with them, you go on your road trip with them, but that's really not, that's just the bread and the butter. The reason you're in that relationship, the reason you were born, is that when they go through their hard time, that you will be loyal to them. And you won't run with the rest. That's huge. We get that right, the entire church changes. And all of a sudden, people want to be a part of the church again. They see that kind of stuff happening. Exodus chapter 2, God calls us to be loyal. So this is the last few minutes I want to just share this with you. We're not going to talk about spouse, marriage, all that, being loyal, that, but it all comes down to this. All those things will begin to take care of themselves if you remain loyal to God, and specifically loyalty in this time of purgation, of testing. Exodus chapter 2, I'm not going to read all this. I'm just going to tell you the story, so hang with me here a second. But basically, it's Moses. Everyone, most of you all know, know, know Moses, and you're familiar with the story, but um, let me just speed you through it. So one day after Moses had grown up, he, he went out to where his people were. Um, you know, Moses was uh, um, put on a, he was a Hebrew child, born Hebrew when all the firstborn were being killed. His mom put him in a little basket, floated him down the Nile, and uh, he was picked up and was raised in royalty. That's what happened with Moses. So he's raised as, as an Egyptian. But as he got older, he began to, whether it be through DNA or he could see that he physically looked different, he, um, he figured out that he's not really an Egyptian, but he was a Hebrew. And so one day after he'd grown up, he, he's watching his people at hard labor. He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and he has this moment of rage and passion come up in him. And he kills, the, he, he kills the Egyptian and basically buries him in the sand. He just is overwhelmed with this rage about, because now these are my people. And he, he didn't know what to do with all that raw anger, so he killed the guy. Next day, he walks around. He sees two Hebrews fighting. He asks them, what's wrong? Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew a day after he killed an Egyptian who was beating on a Hebrew? And... The man looks at him and says, well, who made you judge and ruler over us? Are you going to kill him, like kill one of us like you killed that Egyptian a day ago? And then he gets scared, and his, his whole life goes on the run. He goes on the run, and, and he, he runs away from everything. Because Pharaoh heard about it, and Pharaoh was going to kill Moses. So Moses flees Pharaoh, goes to the land of Midian. He sits down by a well. There's a priest of Midian. He's got these daughters. He comes to draw water. He ends up kind of joining this family. He gets married after he rescues these girls from the Egyptian shepherds. And they say this really interesting thing in um, Exodus chapter 2. They say to their dad, the, the, the women that bring him in front of um, this uh, man of Midian, they say, look, this Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. This Egyptian now, he's actually Hebrew, but they said he's an Egyptian. They said he even drew water for us and watered the flock. And so they invite him into the home. And he gets married. And that's the story. A familiar story. I'm flying ahead because I want to I want to get you guys the most important stuff. So let's fast forward. So he's raised in this culture. And one day, Moses, who only knows Egyptian gods, he doesn't know the God of Israel. He's hearing a little bit about it, but he doesn't know the God of Israel. I just said that, and it heard me say, hey, Siri, and Siri came up. Okay, weird. 
So Exodus chapter 3, it picks up. And he has this view of himself. In the scripture in chapter 2, he actually says, I'm a foreigner living in a foreign land. See, Moses had fled his past, but he really didn't know who he was. He was a foreigner living in a foreign land, and he didn't know who to be loyal to. Had no idea. So it picks it up in Exodus chapter 3, and it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of his father Jethro and the priests of Midian, and he led the flock to the side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from a burning bush. And this is a familiar story. So he was somewhere between 40 and 80 years old, and he must have been there for a while because seeing a burning bush was not a big deal, right? So he probably saw the burning bush and walked away. But maybe he came back an hour later or a day later or four days later, and he looks, and the bush is still burning. Same bush. He's like, That's pretty weird. Bushes usually just kind of burn, and then the burn is over, right? So he goes up, he goes, why is this bush burning? And it says in Exodus chapter 3, Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does this bush not burn up? So he goes and he looks at it, and he walks up to the bush, and all of a sudden he hears the bush talk to him. you got to put yourself in Moses' mind state, right? He didn't know of this God of Israel. And so he hears a bush talking, and he goes, it's a bush God, right? My goodness, the bush is talking with me. I've never seen a bush like this in, in my life. And the bush says, take off your sandals for this is holy ground and then the bush starts talking to him about the plight of his people in Egypt now this is where he was relating to the bush he never knew he had something in common with the bush but he did the bush was concerned about the people of Israel um, that were in slavery in Egypt and he was too and for years and years decades he thought about that and thought God what can I do about that And so we pick it up in chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I am not eloquent, neither in past, and and I I don't really know how to talk very well. And he said that in response to God in the bush saying, hey, I want you to go, and I want you to speak to my people, and I I want you to set them free. And he says, can you send someone else? And the Bible then goes on, and it says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. It burned against Moses. So back to our chart. What was God trying to do in Moses' life? He was trying to wake him up to who he was. He was trying to say, you've lived this life, but I want to begin to purge things out of you, Moses, because there's a person inside of you that you don't even know yet. And you're going to discover that person when you do one thing. You come to know me, and you become loyal to me. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's a person inside of you That God is saying, I want to awaken this person inside of you. And it's going to mean there's a time of testing and trial. There's going to be a desert experience. But I want to purge you of some things so that I can do in you what I want you to do. And there's going to be a season of darkness. But you've got to go through that darkness so that I can bring you into into light. And so what happened in the deformation stage is Moses was walking around in, in the lavishness of life. And the lavishness of of, of things, and God came in and disrupted his life. And I believe in some ways God wants to disrupt some of our lives to be able to pull us out. Think about it for a second. I, there's stories I know of people in this room right now where you were just going one track and you thought you had your path set and you were going, and then God came in and disrupted things, and, and, and he's got you to a better place, but you would have never chosen 
to go through what you go through, but once you've gone through it and you're in that new, better place, you're like, I, I hated having to go through that, but I'm so glad I did go through purgation so that I could get to that place where God wants me. But it comes at a price, and that price is loyalty. Will you do what God is wanting you to do? And God is breaking into the life of Moses, saying, Moses, I want to talk to you about stuff that's deep in your soul. I want to talk to you about some of the things that, those hurts that you've buried over all these years in the desert. And I want to bring you to freedom in your life. I want to show you who you are. I want to show you why you're here. Friends, God wants to show you who you are. He wants to show you why you're here. Jason, I'm so set in my life. I'm so set in my ways. I know. I'm there too. But God will lead you through a season if you say, God, I want to begin giving you my undivided loyalty. And it's scary. It's scary when God comes in and he disrupts our life. It's frightening. It's frightening. But did you know that God had to disrupt Moses' life? And if Moses had said, God, I'm not going to be loyal. I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. I, I, I'm here in Midian. Life is pretty easy. It's not bad. It's good. I can live and die here. And he could have. And did you know that God would have probably still blessed Moses' life? But you know what would have happened? Millions of people in Israel would not have been delivered. Well, Jason, God would have found another way. Maybe. I don't know. I didn't... I'm not God. So you having your breakthrough, I want to, this is so key, so important. You walking in loyalty to God could affect countless lives. Countless lives. The hard time of purgation, of testing, of trial that you go through, if you endure it, if you hold on to God, if you stand strong, if you, if you believe that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm going to make it through this thing because God's with me. And I know that on the other side of that valley of the shadow of death, there's a brand new life. And if you go through that, if you're loyal, now what do I mean by that? Because a lot of people bail. It gets hard and they say, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just, this Christian walks too hard. And the Bible says that many are, the, the love of, grow, of many will grow cold. Matthew chapter 24, end of the verse, when things get really hard, the world gets hard, the love of many Christians, agape love of Christians is gonna grow cold and they're gonna say, I'm done. And they're out. But God serves a remnant. Will you walk through? Will you be loyal? God is telling us this. Once you awaken to me, once you go through this season of purgation, I'm gonna be with you. So I'm not telling you, we're closing now, I'm not telling you don't be afraid about going through this purging process. What I am telling you is trust God in it. And, and I'm going to take it a step farther and say desire to go through it. Desire it. And hold on. Moses goes and, and uh, he faces this, this stuff. And you know what? Here's the cool thing about Moses. Here's what was in it for Moses. See, Moses had fled all this stuff. But God said, Moses, I'm bringing you back to your fears, to all the things you ran away from. Why? Because he wanted to show Moses, I'm gonna give you victory over those things. All right.
Josh and I were talking in, in back just a minute ago about um, about what to do at the end. You can come on up, Josh. Um, about, you know, what, what are we saying at the end of this? Is there, you know, this is kind of a, like, oh, it's about purgation. It's about trial. And, and, you know, so there's a somberness about it. So maybe we just have a quick prayer. And, but here's what I want to leave you with. That's not what God wants us to do. God want, doesn't want us heavy and sullen. He wants you courageous through this process. Because, guys, let me tell you something. He is bringing you to a really, really, really good place. And when we are loyal to him, he will be loyal to you. And he is, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what the Lord God has planned for you. How many of you ready to go through some purgation knowing that what's on the other side is going to be unbelievable? You follow me? So here's what I want to leave you with. Not, I'm not saying, again, not, don't, don't fear this, but trust God in it and have courage. So we're going to pray. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Loyalty to the Lord. Jesus said, he said this to Peter. He said, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but take courage because I am praying for you. And after you have come through this, strengthen the brethren. So I'm going to tell all you that exact thing. Friends, listen to me. Words of Jesus. Satan desires to sift each one of you out. He wants to take you out because he knows what God has planned. I don't care if you're 70, 80, 78 years old, 70 or 80, somewhere in between. The enemy is after you. He wants to take you out. But take courage because Jesus is praying for you specifically by name right now. And after you have come through this thing, you will be strengthened to do whatever God wants you to do. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads. Let's, let's pray this morning. Father, we just bless you for today. We thank you so much that you are praying for us, God. It's kind of strange to think about that, God, that literally right now at this moment you're interceding for us. But God, we thank you that that means two things. It means that number one, you're thinking about us, you're paying attention to us, that your mind is fully engaged on us, literally right now, by name, every person in this room. But God, it also means that you're allowing what we're going through. And you're allowing it because you know it's gonna do a good work in us. And God, I just pray for everyone in this room right now, specifically, that you would give them courage this morning, that they would really be able to trust in you, for the promises that you've made in their life. And after that, they go through the season of testing and trial, Lord, that their fears, their anxieties would melt away and they would experience more freedom and more strength and more ability to walk out the incredible calling that you have for every single person in this room in a new way. Everyone say it. God, help me be loyal to you. Say it. God, help me be loyal to you. I receive your courage today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's end with this quick chorus.